Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the 14th episode of the comic show on Monkeys Body Robots! This week we're talking about the return of a major character in the DC Comics universe. And we have beat reporter Manny Gomez to talk about the one year anniversary of Young Animals. It's an old DC episode! I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co founder of MonkeysBodyRobots.com. Joining me in the conversation is my co host. Editor of the comic book section on Monkey's Fighting Robots, Anthony Composto. What's up, Internet? If you like the show, please subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts at. Feedback is super welcome. Comment, tweet at us. Let us know how we're doing and what books you want to hear us talk about. The comic show is now sponsored by Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. There are tons of trades and graphic novels coming out this week. And at Uncanny Heroes, every trade and graphic novel are 25% off all the time. Uncanny Heroes is located at 12904 North 56th Street in Temple Terrace. Check them out on the web at uncannyheroes.com and like them on Facebook at Uncanny Heroes Tampa. Support your local comic book store, people. Bonus, bonus times here. We have a booth at MegaCon Tampa this year, and we're going to have some pretty cool events during the convention. So make sure to like us on Facebook to get all the details. Everything's going through Facebook. Go to Facebook. We also partnered up with Nerd Roast Coffee. Nerd Roast has a unique origin. The Nerd Roast Coffee Company is what happens when developers, designers, and other nerds come together to create the perfect coffee. I don't know what that means, but I feel like it's pretty intense. They wanted to make a delicious coffee that will give you the kick you need to get you through your day. And each bag of coffee features a unique comic book artwork on it. I've seen this artwork. It's pretty amazing. Check them out on the web at nerdroast.com and use promo code MONKEYS15 for 15% off your order. Once again, that's nerdroast.com. Oh, man, I love this. I'm, in addition to being a comic book addict, I'm a coffee addict. So I'm very excited about this partnership. Oh, no, no. It's going to get really exciting because they're going to send me a promo code so that you can get some free coffee, my friend. Oh, snap. Yeah, no, you're going to be our taste tester of the Nerd Roast Coffee. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm, 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 my, my, uh, my heart is pumping just like I had my uh, fourth cup of coffee in the morning. <laughs> this week, I think I read the books out of order. Um, I read Detective, and then I read the two action comics. Should I have read it differently? Yeah, you should have read Action Comics 988 and uh, then either Action 987 or Detective in whatever order you prefer. But yeah, Action Comics 988 definitely should have been your starting point. Oh, man. I messed it up. But I was so well, you, excited you about... Your reveal. I, 
I was so excited about Detective because I'm a huge Tim Drake fan, and it was all the conversation about when Tim Drake first became Robin. And I was like, oh, my God, this is pretty awesome. I don't know what's going on. But I was like, I want to go back and reread Lonely Place of Dying right now after reading that book. It was really good. I'm actually, I'm really liking Detective. I was reading it in the beginning. I kind of fell off somewhere and then I, I came back, but I, I'm really enjoying it. James Tinney in the fourth is an excellent Batman writer and uh, he's, he's doing a great job over there with this awesome team book. And I'm, I'm also a big Tim. I'm a fan of all the Robins, really. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I'm a fan of all the Robins, but Tim is, Tim is awesome. Guys, just a quick note. We're spoiling some stuff. There was a major reveal in Action Comics 988 a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's been a fair amount of time that we can talk about this. But if you haven't, go check it out. If you guys are not aware, there's been a character in DC Comics for a few years now called Mr. Oz. Jeff Johns created him uh, in Superman when he uh, was writing Superman with John Romita Jr. a couple of years ago. He's popped up a few times here and there. He keeps popping up at pivotal moments in Clark Kent's life. He kidnapped Tim Drake, uh, which is why we're talking about Detective. And uh, we've learned who he is. We know who he is. And Matt, how did it, I'll let you, I'll let you let the reveal. How did you uh, feel about it? Because I knew, I, I, it was spoiled for me ahead of time. How did you feel about the reveal? Uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, how did you feel when they said they were going to bring back Bucky from the dead? Yeah, ex- thank you. Okay, so it's, it's Jor-El. <laughs> it's Superman's daddy from Krypton. And I had a very similar thought process to it where I was like, but my thought process was more along the lines of, I'm not seeing a lot of buzz about this online. Like I'm not seeing a lot of clickbait headlines. Like, Oh, you won't believe who DC comics just brought back or any news stories. Like, Oh, DC comics just brought back a long dead, you know, character. But I feel like when they brought Bucky back, there was a lot more buzz. And even Jason Todd, yeah, I'm not, get, I'm not getting the buzz for Jura, which kind of gets me thinking, like, maybe people don't, maybe they're not buying it. I'm not buying it. I'm definitely not buying it. I mean, they, they gave the origin in, one, in the action comics that you read here. But again, until all the cards are dealt, and I think we only have one card out right now, the Jarrell card, it's hard to make a decision on what's real and what's not real. I mean, at the end of it, and as a person uh, who's read Spider-Man, I don't know if you guys know this or not, um, Huge Spider-Man fan, kind of have an issue with Dan Slott. But earlier in the Spider-Man universe, there was Ben Riley, and everybody replaced that. And then he disintegrated into Ooze, and then Peter Parker became Spider-Man again. So I've already been through like this kind of like chaos scenario of like somebody from the dead or or another character coming in and then them easily being written out at the end. So I don't I don't know what's gonna happen. And and you gave an intriguing answer. To what could be happening? I did, off air, and, and I will get into that. I just want to say real quick, because I'm not totally sold on it either, and I think in in 988, I think earlier I might have been saying that you should read 988 first. 987 came first, and 98, obviously, numbers are fun. But in 988, the proof that Jor-El has for, oh, I am Jor-El, is that this robot that you know he programmed obeys him because he obeys Jor-El. But in 988, in the flashback, we see, A, that the robot has obeyed other people before, and B, that the robot can be reprogrammed to obey someone new. So his whole concept of, oh, this robot obeyed me, therefore I am Jor-El, is kind of all of a sudden it's right away thrown out the window, because we just saw two examples of the robot obeying different people. So 
I'm with you kind of. Um, I'm not totally sold on it. But yeah, this is all leading up to Doomsday Clock. You know, Jeff Johns created Mr. Oz clearly with an intent. It's all leading up to Doomsday Clock, which is the continuation of Rebirth. And uh, I'm fairly certain that this has Dr. Manhattan written all over it. You know, Dr. Manhattan of the Watchmen, you know, Rebirth told us that he's the architect. He's the one that has kind of been shaping the DC universe and he caused the new 52, so on and so forth. When Jor-El is telling his story about surviving the explosion of Krypton, he said, just says it like an entity saves him. And I, that just has Dr. Manhattan written all over it for me. And then in Detective, when he's talking to Tim Drake, he says similar things. He says that, like, you know, there's an architect behind all this. There's someone else. Like, who's that other that he's referring to? To me, to me it's got to be Dr. Manhattan, because this, this is all building up the Doomsday Clock. Superman is going to be front and center of that event, so it, it's got to be. And then when Jarrell gets saved from Krypton, the beam is blue. Yeah, exactly. That was, you know, the writing's on the wall, as they say. And it's a, it's a similar message, right? Because Jor-El's whole thing is that he, he wants to take Clark away from Earth because these people are, they're, they're violent, they're confused, they're, they're, they're bad, they don't appreciate what they have in Superman. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that was Dr. Manhattan's whole thing. He leaves Earth, right? Because like these people confound him, and he just doesn't understand how they can be how they are. So he leaves Earth in the end. It's just, it, 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 there's, a, there's a very clear parallel here to me. And this, the reading the first issue, and I don't know why we can't say it in order, like, but reading Action Comics 987, then reading Action Comics 988, if my dad let people kill a rhino, I would not be friends with him. There are, so there's like flaws in the writing to this that really bother me. Like, in, cause Superman's like, oh, I just gave this woman medicine to feed to help a tribe and then the tribe gets blown away and then Superman kind of finds out that this guy's responsible for it but then he reveals like oh I'm your father and Superman's not like doesn't want to punch him in the face still so I'm, I'm kind of taken back on on this and and I love Dan Jurgens, but I, I feel a little bit of there's a few plot holes in this right now that just don't click for me yeah I'm I'm not a huge Jurgens fan. I'm not like anti-Jurgens. Just uh, I wasn't. Have you tried year. it on your hair? I mean, Jurgens does some good stuff. I mean, their conditioner works. <laughs> Dan Jurgens, the writer. <laughs> I um, I mean, I was again. I'm showing my age here again, but I was born in '92. So like that whole Jurgens era of death and return of Superman and stuff like that. I wasn't growing up with that, uh, but. This whole this this run on action hasn't really been doing it for me. I I actually haven't been reading action comics. I read it when Rebirth started. wasn't a fan of the writing. Uh, I came back into it now because I wanted to read about this Mister Oz stuff in preparation for Doomsday Clock. And I'm, I'm in it for the story, but I agree with you. The writing is just it's kind of lacking something. the The dialogue is it can come off as like super expository. Not even just in this 988 when you know Jarrell is is doing exposition and telling his backstory, but even the previous issue where it was just kind of more conventional storytelling, the, the dialogue is a little bit choppy and, and uh, authentic. There's something a little bit lacking here for me as well. Personally, I was a huge fan of the artwork in 987 and then 988 came around and I was like, Oh my God, what'd you do? What'd you do to me? Oh yeah. This is the problem with, with shipping twice monthly is that it's just such an inconsistent 
art schedule and that you're having a different artist every other book. Greg Ruckett did a great job on Wonder Woman by breaking it up into two different storylines. So, you know, they read consistently later. But, yeah, for these these linear stories, it's a mess. Now, I like 987, too, though it did kind of um, – it felt very Capullo-esque to me. It felt – you know, it wasn't Greg Capullo, but it was a very similar style. To oh, Greg no, Capullo. this was this was the whole – I'm I'm a Todd McFarlane kid. Like this was in that genre of like image era artwork where I was like, Oh my God, this is everything I grew up with. And I'm like, I like it all. But there was like little tweaks here and there to this stuff. And I feel like we should give people credit when we, when we talk about people's artwork and that's we should, it's Victor Bogdanovic on pencils. And then Jonathan Glapion, Jay Lyston. And uh, again, Victor Bogdanovic on inks. And then Mike Spicer on colors. So it's actually quite a heavy art team here. It's not just, you know, one or two guys. You have about four people on art. Yeah, and just and I just like the way Superman, you know, sometimes Superman flows, you know, when that's the way when he flies and there's and when you have like a an artist team like this, like you can feel a lot of movement. And then also when you have an artist like this, like evil looks more evil when you get able to do some more details in it, like it's there's the panels of people doing evil things and nine eighty seven that is is brilliant, and then there's the panel that everyone's seen where Superman's defending the immigrant workers and so I like the timeliness of the book, but then once Jarrell shows up, it kind of gets the story gets wonky, and then Jarrell's character design. Have we seen his face before, or has he always been a hooded character? He's been hooded the whole time that you've seen him. Because he looks like Globulus from the the G.I. Joe cartoon movie from, like, 87. And I was like, oh, my God. And I couldn't handle it. So, so with 988 getting a new artist and then Globulus showing up as Jarrell, I was like, this book can't end quick enough. Because the last page of 988, should have been this epic page where Jarrell is is like saying like, "Hey, Superman, we are leaving," and it just looks bad. Like it doesn't carry any weight. Like it's just, and it's. I think it's more the thing of like I said, you go from like this big art team to different color. Like even if they just kept like they talked to the other colorists and was like, "Hey, this is the palette we're kind of using." Like, the colors are completely different. Like, it's a completely different artist, completely different colors, everything. And then you get to this big epic page, and it's like, oh, this is bad. And if I, I like a lot of what DC's doing with Rebirth. I think DC bounced back in a big way, and they've really shown support for the fans and appreciation for the fans. And they've done a lot of good stuff, and they're trying to write the ship. But if I were to, you know, nitpick, and not even nitpick, but if I were just, like, flat out give one of my major complaints about DC right now, it, it's the... It's the inconsistent artwork on these twice-monthly books. Even as much as I enjoy kind of the artwork in 987, there are some even some panels. I, I love that panel of him rescuing the, the immigrants that you mentioned. But there's some panels like uh, him flying on page 7 where just there's some proportions and, and some, uh, some aspects of his body. There, there was another one a couple of pages earlier when he was lifting the truck out of the water where... There are some proportions that just seem a little bit off to me, but on, on the whole, I thought 987 uh, was really enjoyable. I like the artwork a lot more than uh, 988, like like you said. And it's not Ryan Sook's fault. 
like if Ryan Sook was doing the whole book, I would be fine with it. It's just that like this is my Victor's is my preferred style to then when I get Ryan's style, I was like, oh, and it just doesn't it doesn't mesh well. And it's 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 the same thing with like I'm trying to figure out how to word this because like what Ryan is doing is decent work. And, you know, it's not it's not my favorite style, but like he is doing like his Clark Kent is the or his Superman is the Superman I've grown up with and looks pretty solid. Like no, where where just... where Victor's is kind of like this like fresh flowy hair kind of thing of, you know, it's where the one's more traditional and this one's more 90s, I guess. I don't know. Where yeah, I get it. You're not really you're not like tearing one apart or anything like that. You're just saying, and I agree with you, that there should be a little bit more communication between the art teams so that even though it's not the same team, there's kind of a consistent tone. Yes. Yeah. That's where I'm going with it. Thank well, you for I can't, I, I can't. Thank you for ending my sentence. <laughs> no problem. English major here. Can form a sentence properly. Uh, I, <laughs> I, no, no one can fault you for that. I agree with you. Again, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I highly commend... I'll say it again, Greg Rucka and his team for what they did on Wonder Woman. I thought that was a great workaround for the twice monthly shipping, but for the teams that can't afford to do two different storylines simultaneously, you know, they should, they should at least get on the same page for, especially for colors, if not pencils. Or even inking. I mean, that's the thing with, with one had a very fine inking to it. And then the other one is like heavily outlined inked. Uh, in it, and it's just it's just weird, and it's it's tough. But can I can I talk about Batman Detective Comics, please? Yes, let's do it. I actually personally I enjoyed Detective Comics uh, more than either of the action comics. So yes, I, as I said, I'm a fan of Tim Drake. I was in was a freshman in high school when the Robin miniseries came out, so I was how old are you? I man? was in seventh grade when Lonely Place of Dying came out, and I was like. Oh my god, this character is the most amazing character ever. I still no, I loved seeing the origin again. Yeah. Yeah, seeing the origin again and it, but it still bothers me that the Red Robin costume has the two R's on it. Like it doesn't need the second R. Just take it off. Just have him have that cool costume and just tell Damien to change his costume. Because Damien can change his costume. No, because Damien's Robin. Damien has to have the Robin costume. No, Damien is not Robin. It's just not happening. It's not working. It's not working for me. Breaking <laughs> I, up with it. I, I am a fan of Damien. I, I'm a fan of all the Robins. I can't uh, can't put put any of them down, really. Oh, you can. You can. You can totally do it. I mean, you just have to say like, Damien, I don't like you. You're short and you're a psychopath. You just yeah, theoretically, you can. You can say a lot of things. I, I have no desire to though. I have no desire to put down any of the Robins. But I, Tim Drake is like the second greatest detective. Where Damien's just like a douchebag. He's just a short Jason Todd. He is a douchebag, and some writers have done Damien much better than other. I love uh, Tomasi and Gleason's Damien, but we're not, we're not talking about Damien. We're talking about Tim Drake, just to get back on track. Uh, uh, I, I really like seeing this, this origin story again. I liked uh, you know, him kind of coming to, you know, showing the detective work, like you said. I like the ending a lot. Too, and we're, we we are going to spoil the ending. So, spoiler alert, because because it ties into Jeff Johns' run on Teen Titans. 
Yes. Tell me more. Oh, okay. Um, well, in, in Jeff Johns' Run Teen Titans with Tim as Robin, there was a point where the Titans get shoved into the future. They meet the future versions of themselves, and this was Tim. Tim was Batman wielding the gun that killed Thomas and Martha Wayne. You know, he even says, I'm the Tim Drake of tomorrow, and the name of that arc was Titans of Tomorrow. Uh, it was a pretty prominent arc towards the end of John's run, the middle end of uh, John's run on Titans. So we're calling back to a pretty seminal run here. And this is where I'm, I was very intrigued with the whole thing with Oz and then Jarrell and people getting plucked from times. And I was like, okay, but Jarrell mentions that the thing could be all in your head. So I don't know what's in Tim. I don't know what's in Tim Drake's head and what's reality. Uh, Cause I would, I was like, Oh, I wonder if they're picking out characters or Tim Drake from just different timelines of universal timelines. And this could be a cool story of like, seeing his life, seeing his past and everything like that and and being some sort of like head trip of a Robin thing because, you know, they were talking about him like giving up the costume and stepping down and is he not Red Robin anymore? He is Red Robin. He was getting ready to retire and go to college when he was presumed dead but actually kidnapped by Mr. Oz. Okay. But he was having serious talks with uh, his girlfriend, Stephanie Brown. Spoiler. Uh, about. Wait, you know, she, putting, uh, I thought she died. Rebirth. Son of a bitch. <laughs> so that's all you got to say anymore is rebirth. <gasps> and, um, yeah, because you got them all. You, you, got, you got Stephanie Brown is in detective. Cassandra Kane is in detective. They're all here. Uh, but he was having, you know, conversations with her about hanging up the tights and, and, uh, and moving on with his life, like he was saying in this book. So he hadn't hung up the tights yet, but he was looking into it. He needs to move on to that next level, you know, whatever that Nightwing level is. And I don't want him to age, like, to be at Nightwing's age, but I still need him to, like, if Damien's going to be Robin, he needs to be something else. And Red Robin is just way too close to Robin. And I really loved Tim Drake's, Robin costume because they changed it for the first time and I was like oh it's subtle but it has a few things in it that are better you know that are make more sense than the traditional Robin costume because that was just tights and a, like a muscle shirt I don't know exactly what that Robin costume was uh, <laughs> um, but no I, I love I love that new Robin costume when it first came out and I drew it a million times uh, when I was a kid no, Tim has probably the best Robin costume of the four, and even though he has the double R on his chest that you hate, I still I like this one so much more than the other Red Robin costume that he was running around in, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, where it was like it was like red and black or yellow and black. It was weird. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of that one because they didn't know who you know, like every it was all everything was all over the place at that point in time. Like I felt like one issue he was like old, super old, and then one issue he was super young, like. But they do need to bring back a Robin comic book. I was a huge fan when there was a Nightwing comic book out there, and I was a huge fan when there was a Robin comic book out there, when you had, like, Tim Drake doing his own thing, and you had Dick Grayson doing his own thing, and they were at two different life points, you know, one being in high school, one being in their, like, late 20s, I guess-ish. Like, it was... Good dynamics were around there, and I would like to see the return of that. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked that they don't have a Robin book out there. They had... Batman and Robin, 
and now even post rebirth we don't even have Batman and Robin anymore. That was the Morrison um Chris Burnham run, right? That's what you're talking about? No, even 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 after that, even during the new fifty two, Tomasi and Gleason had Batman and Robin, which was one of the better runs of the new fifty two. And then uh, in in Rebirth, there we don't have that title anymore. Batman has Batman, the Detective Comics, we have Red Robin, and Damien is, you know, with the leader of the Teen Titans book. So they're all kind of and they pop up in each other's books, but we don't have an actual Batman and Robin book, nor do we have just a solo Robin book. Yeah, there's a Super Sons book. Right, Damien's in that as well, yeah. But again, there's no uh no true Robin or but you don't you don't want a Robin book, you want a Tim Drake book, you don't want a Damien book. Oh no, hell no, do I I don't want a Damien yeah. book. That's, that's... So don't say you want a Robin book, you want a red Robin book. Yeah, but Red Robin is a burger joint where you get French fries, unlimited French fries. Every you run out of French fries, you're like, hey, I would like some more French fries, and more French fries show up. That's like Red Robin. It's not Tim took, Drake. What if he? So you know, you know where the origin of Nightwing came from, right? The name, uh, Superman story, the Superman yeah, story. Yeah, exactly, the Superman story, the old Kryptonian heroes or whatever. And there were two of them. There was Nightwing, and there was Flamebird. What if? What if? What if Tim Drake came back as Flamebird? I don't think America's ready for Flamebird. You don't think it's, so? It's a divisive world right now. I I think the world needs Flamebird now more than ever. <laughs> you might be onto something. You just might be. Each week, we want to bring you an interview either from a beat reporter from Monkeys Fighting Robots or a comic book creator. This week, we have a beat reporter from Monkeys Fighting Robots, Manny Gomez, coming to the big stage. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be back, man. I'm excited you're here. I mean, we we also did our Irma episode on the monk, on the movie show, so I mean we've talked, but Anthony's been kind of out of the loop for a while, so we I, I guess we got to talk to that guy now. Well, he was lucky yeah. enough he blew town right for the storm, so yeah, he's like, oh, I'm gonna go to New York during the hurricane. It was uh, perfectly planned. I got stuck there too. I got stranded on Long Island an extra few days. You were probably better off. I have been excited to talk Young Animal with you on this show for a long time, Manny. You're kind of like the resident Young Animal expert on our team at this point, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think everybody's checked out the titles, but uh, I've been consistently reading the books since they came out. I mean, I even started reading them I mean, right before I started writing for Monkeys Fighting Robots. I started, I think, maybe by the time Doom Patrol 2 was already out. So, I mean, I, I, I was reading it on my own for, for sheer pleasure and excitement. And you got me kind of going on it because I bailed relatively early on. And in talking with you and reading your reviews, I went back and caught up not only on Doom Patrol, but you got me hooked on Mother Panic now as well. Yeah, you know, Mother Panic was, to me was, was sort of the, the surprise for me because it's the only one that's in a completely original idea. I mean, you know, Doom Patrol obviously is a, an old DC property, as is Cave Carson. You know, as is, you know, well, Shade the Changing Girl is a a different take on on something that, that you know, that fucking Steve Ditko created. So, you know, all, all the all the stuff besides Mother Panic definitely goes back into DC's history. So I didn't even really expect to like Mother Panic as much as I do. But it's definitely, I think, almost the, the best way to sort of jump into the line if you're a little hesitant on it, because it might be the most accessible. I don't know. You, you tell me. I mean, you've read it, so. I did. It's very accessible. There's a new issue out this week as uh, mm-hmm. as this episode is dropping. That's right. Issue number eleven, which is uh, 
the uh, second part of a storyline. So it's not, it's not like the first part, you know, and it, you know, maybe it's yeah, not and the I best think, jumping on point, but yeah. And I think this is so accessible, especially to superhero fans because it's an original concept, but it takes place in Gotham and we mm-hmm. do see some Gothamites, you know, we do see, uh, you know, Batman and Batwoman. They've made a couple of cameos. So it's, it's very accessible for people who are fan of that lore. If they're just trying to find an in into uh, this imprint. So who is yeah, mother? It, Pan- it, who is mother panic? Well, mother panic is, uh, another in the long line of a long line tradition of Gotham city vigilantes. You know, she does have some similarities with Batman. She's rich, you know. She sort of comes from a, a very well-known family in Gotham. Her, her name's Violet Page, and uh, she is uh, somewhat of a uh, social media socialite. So she's very much a, a girl of her times. Uh, you know, she's always in the media for misbehaving, you know, for, for all these things. But, you know, she has this whole other double life as this sort of cybernetically and, you know, chemically enhanced vigilante. But I think what sets her uh, apart differently is, um, is, is kind of her attitude, you know? I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. I don't, I don't just, know. <laughs> I was talking to Anthony there. <laughs> yeah, no, she, her attitude is she just, she, she doesn't give a fuck to, to yeah, put it exactly. Bluntly, and she, she doesn't like the supers. She's outwardly stated her displeasure with Batman and Batwoman. Whenever they you try to approach her, she, Basically gives them the finger. Uh, mm-hmm. fact, she has an she has an all white costume, which just symbolically shows how she just she feels like she represents the opposite of everything that the Bat family stands for. That's a good point because visually, I I love the design of the character, and it's like one of the things that that drew me when I didn't know anything about it when I was seeing like the promotional materials for the book and everything was like, you know, she's this sort of like very sharp white. I mean, the only other character I can think of that might, might bring, bring people to, to think about it along these white lines is uh, like Marvel's moon Knight. you know, just this sort of very like clear, crisp white image on like this dark city, these dark backgrounds. It makes, it makes it stand out. And like, you know, Anthony, you said, you know, she, she kind of gives the middle finger to like all the other characters. And it's true. This is one vigilante that clearly has no, no, uh, no desire to be part of the extended Bat family that every fucking vigilante in Gotham seems to eventually become a member of, you know? Yeah, no, she just, she has a very personal reason for doing what she's doing. She has a very personal mission and not like Batman mm-hmm. where he's like, this is personal. My parents died. So I'm taking it out on all crime. No, she has very specific people that she is looking to take down. And, um, I, I wonder if, if she, if she gets every name off that list, like Arya Stark, I wonder exactly what's going to happen afterwards. But uh, I'm along for right. the ride. No, I'm along for the ride too. And like, um, you know, we, we were talking about um, her attitude you know, earlier, and like, I, uh, like you know, one of the things that I always thought of of her almost as like a punk rock, like Batman, for lack of a better term, or like sort of like a punk, a punk rock, like you know laced like vigilante and i think that's true for the entire line but because this one is the most superhero-ish one it it stands out the most you know is she the jessica jones in the dc universe i think she goes even farther than that to be honest with you because she's 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 probably not as um you know jessica jones is still you know trying to help others and not not that you know not that uh violet hasn't but like anthony said her reasons for 
for putting on a costume and hunting the people she's hunting are completely, I mean, I don't want to say selfish because they're not like for personal gain, but they're selfish in the sense that she has, she has revenge and she wants to, to just, you know, get it back for herself. And that's pretty much it. Like, at least at this point, she doesn't give a fuck about Gotham or anybody else. But I do think that we see glimmers of, of good in her where I think once her list is done, I, I do think that we'll, that she, obviously she's going to stick around. And, and I think that, uh, you know, we've seen moments where she's kind of had those soft, good-hearted uh, feelings. I think the art is really good at showing that on her face as well. But uh, yes, I, I think that so. this, out of all the Young Animal books, is... Probably the most accessible. Doom Patrol probably has is the quote unquote biggest, and you know it's their flagship book. But I think anyone looking to get into Young Animal should should start with Mother Panic for sure. It's also I probably think, the least weird out of the rest. Like yeah, it's the least abstract, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, it's it's the one that you know. I mean, there's there's no there's nothing very esoteric or sort of like experimental about the narrative or anything. You know, it's pretty much straightforward. Forward. I mean, it still has like that like punked out attitude, but it's very much a superhero book. So if you're looking to get into it, yeah, definitely mother panic is probably the door you want to walk into this world through, you know, like. Yeah, Matt, you would like this one. This one's not as, uh, as, as highfalutin as doom patrol. Doom patrol, man. Those are just for the smart kids that I never hung out with. Um, I, I, I love the doom patrol. But no, when you talked about the costume, I'm going to have to Google it now, uh, because when you said the white costume, I automatically brought up like ne- Mark Millar's nemesis in my head. And I was like, ooh, I wonder if it looks like that. It does not. Honestly, I, I like the all white. I'm not a huge fan of the costume. I got to be honest with you. I don't like her hands, like her her gauntlets, her gloves are oversized. Her helmet is oversized. I, that stuff I do like. I mean, I, 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 well, I mean, go on. I get why you don't like it, but I, I like it. It sets her apart. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people like it. I get why they like it. I just, it's not the draw for me. It doesn't take away from the book. It's just not, not my peak interest. Can you, Manny? Can you tell us a little bit about Cave Carson? Because that's a title that I'm, I'm not reading, but I'm, I'm interested in, and I'd like to know more about, like, you know, what it is, who Cave Carson is, and so on and so forth. Well, Cave Carson is a uh, Silver Age character. Uh, he definitely has uh, ties to the DC universe for years now, and. Um, he was sort of like one of these characters that would pop up in like uh like the DC anthology tales in the sixties and you know was you know, maybe would pop up in a story here and there. And he was basically just like a spelunker, you know? He had some high tech devices and he had uh, you know, vehicles to go like burrowing underground and you know, he interacted with uh, you know, underground creatures like, you know, like the Morlocks from the, you know, the time machine type creatures and stuff like that. But you know, he never he was never the the star of his own title and and in fact I know um in plenty of places Gerard Way says that he really found the character uh by flipping through like those old DC Who's Who books and I think literally like, you know, it said Cape Carson, like height, whatever, and like the only thing that made Cape Carson special in the in the in the uh, description was the fact that he had a cybernetic eye and no one ever explained why he had one. That's something that the character always had, but I guess, you know, through the ages, nobody ever bothered to sort of give him the origin. And that's sort of what the, the, the series has been about, is like sort of exploring this untold history of Cave Carson. Well, that's in the title. It's The whole title is Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye, which is 
one of my favorite titles. I think it's it's just hysterical and blunt. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's in the title. You have to address that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the the book is creating like a, a deep mythology, you know, with uh, with the little bit of information that they're probably able to just find in these old books. And uh, you know, they they tied that book into the uh, DC universe as well. Now, I mean, there was uh, one issue that had a. Um, a story that flashed back and like had an adventure that that uh that Cave Carson had with Superman, and Wild Dog is a supporting character in the book. So there's like another obscure you know DC character that is actually you know I think uh, uh, as far as uh, everything I've read he's he's you know he's a supporting character and a supporting player in all the stories. Are you reading Bug? That one I haven't I haven't read with the consistency that I would like. Which is weird. I just haven't had the uh, the time to do so because you know it's Mike Alred who I love, and uh, it's all the Alreds, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of like a family project, and it deals with like all the fourth world characters. You know, Forger is uh, is another character from uh, the New Gods uh, side of things. So it's it's definitely up my alley. Amazing, I'm sure. I mean, that's another great combination. You know, like uh, you know. that's one thing I've admired about young animal is uh, they've been very, very good. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if this is, um, you know, uh, uh, Jamie uh, S rich or is Gerard, who's the editor on most of the books or Gerard way, who's sort of the curator. I don't know who was the mastermind, but they've been awesome about pairing artists with uh, properties and with writers. I mean, the symmetry and like the, the, the way that the, the teams work together, I think is what, what makes the the line so appealing. They really know how to match writer, artist, and property very well. Matt, I would avoid Bug if I were if you were looking for a young animal book because if uh, if you thought Doom Patrol was a little too high concept and and strange, I don't think uh, I don't think you'd enjoy Bug very much. <sighs> man, it's weird because like we're talking about all these all these books, and I've been reading a lot about Darren Aronofsky's mother and how that was like too meta, too crazy, too shock arty and stuff like that. And it just comes with, I, I'm trying, I, I, I'm trying to figure out because I don't think it's, I don't think you're a good reviewer if you read something and you're just like, ah, this is not my cup of tea. Like, I mean, there's, I do, I do appreciate like storylines and, and good art and, and different things, but I'm trying to figure out like what, my opinion should be with Doom Patrol because I don't want to like it just to like it because like I'm a critic and like I should appreciate these things. Like I have my own personal flaws with it and everything like that, but I'm trying to figure out what that medium is like that middle ground for a book like Doom Patrol, because I know there's going to be other books out there that are kind of like high concept and everything like that. But like, I feel like that puts me in a box when I say things like that, because like I do like superhero books, but I do like other books out there. I mean, like we've read, Savage Town last week, like that was a movie. I really enjoyed that. And that was completely not a superhero book. So it's weird. I'm trying to figure out how, how to critique these kind of things properly. It's it's hard. I, I see your point. Um especially with something like Doom Patrol, like it's 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 hard it's hard to criticize it without like uh without like falling into like you just said, like, oh, it's too weird for me because you know, like you said, you know, you're you're you've read thousands of comics in your lifetime like like all of us have you know so it's not like you don't have the the uh you know the 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 mental like the understanding of the of the language and 
and the techniques of storytelling that it, that that you don't get it, you know. And like, I can see why you could say that you know it's not for you is is, is you want to say more than that. But honestly, sometimes I think maybe that's that's really all you can say with a, with a book like that is that you know it 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 might not just be for you. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, because I mean, I'm glad that people are enjoying it, and I'm glad that yeah, I'm hoping that it sells well. I don't actually have the numbers in front of me. Um, and I like Gerard Way. I think he's an amazing musician, and I would love for him to make more music. So, see that that's what's funny about me is that like I, I grew up loving like rock and roll and punk rock and like emo and all that stuff. But when his band broke, I wasn't as into it because I guess I was I was a little older, and I think like My Chemical Romance was probably targeted at people that were maybe five, six, seven years younger than I than I was. Not that I didn't appreciate what he was doing on a visual level. But from the very beginning, when he started working in comics with like Umbrella Academy and and um, the the Joy Kills comic book, I think both of, of which he did for Dark Horse, I was on board. I thought that as a comic book creator, he was fantastic, and I he's never let me down in that respect. I mean, I've gone back and listened to some of his music and like it, but I really think that like comics is what he was kind of born to do. And his role as a curator, I mean, yeah, he's writing, you know, he's writing Doom Patrol, he's a uh, he co-created Mother Panic. It's actually written by Jody Hauser, but he co-created the character with her and Tommy Lee Edwards, who does the art on and off for Mother Panic, but he also does the covers uh, most of the time. And I think he also uh, co-writes uh, Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye. But more than, what he really does is sort of oversee the entire line. And I think that's such, a, that's such an interesting role for a creator because very few comic lines have that person i mean yeah you can have an editor but i think his job is a, a very different than what an editor does and i think that's why young animal has such a consistent cohesive like feel to itself like it's not a shared universe by any stretch of the imagination i mean i mean yeah I'm sure, i mean by by proxy they all take place in a dc universe so yeah they're shared in that respect but the books don't really cross over but there's no denying that there's something similar about all of them and I think that's what makes it so special to me. Well, we should say that we are getting a crossover. Yes, we are. That's right. Yeah, and which I, I mean, I didn't know how to feel about that at first, but now I, I'm super excited. I mean, I, 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 I won't lie. I think it's, I think it's a fucking great idea. Yeah, Justice League meets Doom Patrol. You know, and it's, it's, it's funny because uh, Young Animal, I think, as as great as it is and as you know, much as t- attention as it's gotten, it's probably slightly overshadowed by all the other great stuff that's going on in the, in the DC universe now with like Doomsday Clock and, you know, um, uh, like all that stuff. But like, I think that, that, that young animal, um, provides almost the same thing that Vertigo did back when it first started, but even more, even more so because, when Vertigo first started, it was sort of primarily like a, a horror comic line. I mean, that that really was what they wanted to do with it. You know, it, it went off in its own in its own thing, but but they were trying to create, you know, a, a kind of a horror line. But Young Animal doesn't necessarily adhere to any specific genre. And with the crossover, it's going to be four one shots, is what they're saying. And the first one is going to be a Doom Patrol special featuring the Justice League of America. And it's written by Jared Way and Steve Orlando with art by Aco, A-C-O, and a cover by Frank Quietly. Oh, nice. 
Right. That you know, now that you mentioned covers, I gotta say, I know when 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 we when I was on the podcast last, I said that one of the things that I really hate are variant covers. But I gotta tell you, I think Young Animal has actually done variant covers in a great way and in the right way, in that they get really offbeat different artists to do the variant covers if they have them. I mean, they've gotten people like Jamie Hernandez from Love and Rockets. They got fucking James O'Barr who created The Crow to do a cover. You know, like if you're going to, if you're going to have an alternate cover, I say go with someone like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love people like Jim Lee, but the world has enough alternate covers by Jim Lee when he, you know, am I wrong? I mean, I don't know. Jim Lee's artwork is really good. It is. It is. But I'm not. No, I see. I, I see exactly what you're saying, Manny, and I agree with you. Like, like get some, get some new blood in there, especially for Young Animal, which is all about being being weird. I feel like if we got a Jim Lee cover, they'd be like, "Well, this isn't weird. This is this is normal and conventional." And you know, we we haven't talked about it yet, but I do want to give uh, a shout out to uh, to Shade the Changing Girl, which uh, uh, I don't know. Have you read any of that one, Anthony? I have not. Because that one is really bizarre, too. And uh, it's it's probably skews more like Doom Patrol, but uh, it has less of that, like, uh, sort of pop sensibility that Doom Patrol has. Like, Shade is really sort of trying to tackle, I think, like, um, like issues like gender identity and even, like, you know, what it's like to be an adolescent in today's world, which, you know, I mean, I'm like, I'm practically an old man, so I have no idea what that's like. But Shade the Changing Girl, uh, which, you know, is sort of a continuation of, like, uh, the idea presented in Shade the Changing Man, really, I think, is, like, a great comic for, for young adult readers, specifically, like, young, young adult, like, women. And, and you know, it, that, that book especially has, like, a high uh, female readership, and uh, it, it also has a, uh, I think uh, it has a fully uh, female creative team, which I think is another fucking great great thing about it you know uh, about young animal in general is that like they they really they, they really have a variety in in concept and character uh, diversity in creators and uh without it being overly political or like becoming like uh, you know like a like two quote-unquote social justice warrior or whatever like you know it it just seems like a very it seems like it's naturally blended into the fabric of the creativity all right so manny you know what you accomplished you you do this almost every time that you come on the show. You make me read more shit. That's what you end up doing. Because like now I'm gonna have to go out and go find a mother panic trade and go check this mother panic out because everybody's been taught panicking about mother panic. And so I think you accomplished your job of making me want to read this book. And I love the concept of a creative director on a comic book line. I mean they do it in films. I mean Je- uh, mm-hmm. well Jeff. Jeff Johns created the position in comic books now. He's like the creative director of DC Comics. And now I love exactly. that they have another tier uh, with the Young Animals line. Um, again, you know, we, we talk about DC a lot, and we're going to continue to talk about DC through this whole podcast because I think this is like a full DC episode. But they, they, all, they have looked at what's going on in the world of comic books, and I think they're trying to set up uh, a hierarchy Hello? that benefits everybody the creative staff and the editorial staff and so far it's working out and we'll see how how it goes yeah no i i I agree and uh there definitely is a a mother panic uh trade out the the first trade has been out for uh, a while now so 
it's easy, easily available, and uh, I I really think you'll enjoy it, man. Thanks, Manny. As always, it's always a pleasure when you stop by the show. No, it's always a pleasure to be on the show, and uh, you know, thanks for letting me uh, uh, talk about Young Animal. I will talk to you guys next time, I guess. Well, that was a pretty spirited conversation with Manny in, in our DC conversation all around. I, I enjoyed what we were doing there today. Yeah, it was a good DC episode. We had to go the DC out of the way because next week we're talking Marvel Legacy. Oh man, yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can get some interviews from people about Legacy because I'll be at MegaCon this week, and so Legacy will come out on Wednesday. So Friday. Today. Oh yeah, because we're recording this now. <laughs> we're recording this now, but the episode is live on Wednesday. So guys, Legacy is in stores now. We will be talking about it next week. Yes. Uh, so be sure to go out and buy it so you can follow along with the conversation. Okay. I can't handle all these timelines. I didn't know we had multiple timelines in our own podcast, man. Well, Marvel, if you gave us some advanced preview copies, we uh, we could talk about things in real time. Uh, but we have listen, we have listening. so many amazing other partners like DC Comics, Image, Boom, IDW. They're all going to send me stuff to give away at MegaCon Tampa this week. So stop by our booth, like us on Facebook, because I think I'm, I think I'm probably going to do some trivia. So if you like us on Facebook and you show up at my booth, you prove that you like us on Facebook, and then I ask you a trivia question. And if you answer that trivia question correctly, you win a prize. I think that's what we're going to do. I love it. I, 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 love, uh, I love the company. Thanks to everyone for, uh, for supporting us and sending us stuff. Hi, Anthony. You have a good week, and hopefully Legacy doesn't blow your mind away, or maybe it should blow your mind away. I don't know. Hopefully it does blow my mind away. Hopefully it does not just plain blow. Ooh. You have a good time at MegaCon, sir. Take care. (laughs) Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at Monkeys Fighting Robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host, Anthony, is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we would greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? There are so many people that made the 14th episode of the comic show Monkeys and Robots a success. Go check out Uncanny Heroes in Tampa and Nerd Roast Coffee Company. Come on, support our sponsors. Special shout out to my co-host, Anthony Composto. Guys, head to Twitter. Let's get it trending. Hashtag, we want Flamebird. Oh my gatos. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey or are you a robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps it running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.